This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mayen. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblet. And our topic this week is... WWDC 2017 Prediction and Wishes. Cool. Uh, but first, we have some follow-up. Yeah. Uh, sh- should I go first or should you go first? Uh, you can start. Okay, well, first of all, let's start with a personal note. Uh... On the last episode and on the episode before that, we mentioned that I was unemployed. However, I now have a new job as a web developer at a local firm. Woohoo! Yep. So I'll be signing the paperwork on next Thursday, and then after that, uh, I should start working on around June 6th. So, yeah, big news. Glad to finally get off my ass and do something productive uh, for the <laughs> first time in nine months. A uh, little bit overdue, but yeah, we're... We finally got something good going, so that's good. No, I think the best way to sell it is just to say you decided to take a nine-month vacation and it's just about to end in a couple of weeks. Uh, I wouldn't say that. But oh, come on. I'm trying maybe, to help you here. Maybe four months of that, but yeah. Uh, next up, uh, have you heard about one of the cool Swift-related Google Summer of Code proposals? Um, no. Okay, so... Uh, there is a project on the internet called Haiku, which is an operating system. Uh, it is an open source reimplementation of BOS. And someone. Ooh, you love BOS. I love BOS. And someone is going to port Swift to Haiku. No uh, shit. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. So, uh, right now, this mostly seems to be targeting command line related stuff, uh, sort of like the Android port that we saw a couple months ago. Uh, and of course, people in the comments are going crazy because they, some of them don't seem to realize or are just fantasizing very strongly about cross compiling Mac and iOS apps to Haiku, which I don't think, first of all, will happen anytime soon. And second of all, I don't think that would be a great experience because the design of iOS and Mac apps is very, very different from what Haiku apps should feel like. Uh, especially if you love the feel of BOS. BOS has a very specific style in how their apps are. And, Modern Mac apps simply don't behave that way, so it wouldn't be a very good fit. But it is exciting to me that it could be possible in the near future to develop Haiku applications using Swift. So that would be really cool. Uh, next up is some follow-up for episode 54, my Tokyo Travel Guide. Um, and this is mostly a response to some panic I saw going on on Twitter this week. Uh, and the cause of this panic is... Uh, Many shops in Akihabara have been or will be closing down in the next few weeks. And if you're only a little bit informed as to what's going on, it seems like a huge red flag because, like, the giant electronic store SoftMap, which, like, the main SoftMap in Akihabara is shutting down in... Actually, I think it's this week or next week. Uh, and people are freaking out. They're, like, saying, is Akihabara dead? Uh, all of that stuff. I would warn everybody, don't panic. Uh, it looks really bad from the outside if you don't have the information, but this is pretty standard cyclical stuff for Akihabara. Uh, every five or six years, Akihabara looks completely different, and if you've only known Akihabara for five or six years, then it has always looked like that to you. Uh, but things change a lot, and there is a wonderful Twitter account called, uh, I don't remember if it's Photo Akiba or Akiba Photo on Twitter, which is just a guy who takes his DSLR to Akihabara every day and takes photos. And he has basically posted many, many times the evolution of the main street on Akihabara to demonstrate that this is the usual cyclical stuff and it's nothing to worry about, really. Uh, the downside, I guess, is if you're going to Akihabara this summer, there are a lot of stores that are going to be just empty 
uh, for the summer as they either uh, change what's inside the store or uh, look for a new tenant. Um, but there's still enough nerdy stuff left in Akihabara to warrant a visit. Um, so just a warning to anyone who is thinking maybe about going to Japan this summer. Don't panic about Akihabara, even though it might look really bad. Next up is some follow-up to episode 60, where we talked with Tony about uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And while this isn't related directly to Breath of the Wild, it is related to the Zelda series. And that is that The Legend of Zelda will be the next Nintendo smartphone game following Animal Crossing, uh, which is due sometime this year. Yeah, we don't have any specific date for Animal Crossing, if I recall correctly. No, it got pushed back. It was supposed to be released around the same time as the Switch. And now it's sometime this year, uh, which is wonderfully uh, imprecise. And of course, Zelda fans are panicking uh, because a lot of people have looked at what happened to Mario and what happened to Fire Emblem. And I think those games were extremely good at what they were trying to be, but many people disagree with what they were trying to be. Uh, so Zelda fans are also very skeptical about what this game might be and how do you adapt a game like Zelda to be something that makes sense for the series and also plays well on a smartphone. So yeah, th there's no information other than there is going to be a Legend of Zelda game on smartphones, but get your imagination running and think about what might possibly be the thing. Again, I, I do want to do a Nintendo smartphone game episode, if only they would fucking release Animal Crossing, <laughs> then maybe we could. Yeah, that would be amazing when, because I, I think right now that uh, I was super excited about uh, Super Mario Run, but it feels to me that uh, Animal Crossing would be a game where I would just like pick up all the time. And I wouldn't say that I have a reason to pick it up, but more like more incentive to pick it up uh, maybe every few days. Yeah, definitely. And like, I know people who are still playing Animal Crossing every day on 3DS, right? So Animal Crossing is one of those games that has incredibly devoted fans where they get a ton of longevity out of those games. And it would be even more insane if they could find a way to monetize that on the phone because they could potentially make way more than the $60 or whatever you pay for a one-time purchase of the cartridge on 3DS. And... uh Next up, I have some follow-up on last episode, which was on, which was on collectible card games. Uh, I was doing additional research after the episode, and it increasingly became clear to me that basically everything smart in collectible card games was invented by Magic the Gathering, <laughs> uh, which is sort of silly because we didn't talk about it at all because I didn't know anything about Magic at all. Uh, and uh, I've done a lot of research into Magic uh, over the last week. And I guess I should sort of start off by saying that the notion of energy cards in the Pokemon trading card game are incredibly analogous to lands in Magic, where they're basically just energy cards with different types of lands on them. Uh, however, what makes lands in Magic different from Pokemon is uh, basic lands in Magic are worthless, just like basic energy cards are in Pokemon. However... The special lands in Magic can be incredibly rare and make up to half the price of $500 decks in certain formats. So you can spend $250 on just energy cards, in theory, Whoa. which sounds horrible if you're a Pokemon fan who hated getting energy cards. But this is a thing. Uh, furthermore, uh, stuff like Hearthstone Arena or drafting formats is actually something that Magic invented and is commonly played. Uh, it's also theoretically possible to go infinite in a magic draft as well, because 
to some extent you pay a prize to enter and the prizes you win can surpass the entrance fee uh so that notion still exists and by the way when you play a draft in magic you also get to keep all of the cards you draft which is also really cool um so upon doing all of this research into magic it became super clear that this game is amazing and i want to learn about it and so i went to the local game shop which i didn't know existed but has been here for three years and turns out to have a quite active magic community and i bought some decks for magic the gathering so i have started to learn the game and i'm thinking about attending a few events in the coming months and i'll probably give more thoughts on that in a future episode wow i'm impressed did you have uh events during the weekend events during the weekend yeah like you said you you said that the local uh card shop had a specific events for the magic trivia community Oh, well, it's sort of a thing that's standard across, like, all the registered stores that sell magic stuff. Oh, true, uh, true. So there's, like, uh, there's Magic League on Thursday. So there's a league where you show up one uh, every week for a month and build a deck from the latest expansion and play from that. There's Friday Night Magic, which is every Friday night. You get to play standard decks except for one week where you get to play Modern, which is another format because there are so many cards in Magic people want to keep playing their old cards, but they also don't want to make it unfair for certain people. So there's that. Uh, I think on weekends there's something called the Standard Showdown, which is another thing where you can get special packs that include higher chance of rare cards if you win a certain amount of games or something. And there's casual events in Commander on Monday. And I think there's additional events also in the off-season between expansions. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on at the local game shop. Uh, I had no idea it was even there, but apparently it is. And there was, like, I went on a Tuesday afternoon, and there were a bunch of people playing Magic there on a weekday. I was not expecting that. So I guess this is a thing. Uh, yeah, the reason the reason why I was asking is maybe one weekend I could make sure that uh, I join you attending one of those events, and maybe we can do some reporting back on both our perspective, even if I'm not a big uh, collectible uh, card game person. But well, I'm there sure that is inter- there is a welcome event coming up soon uh, that hmm. we could maybe plan around. So let's talk about that later off the show. That's a good idea. Yeah. Was that it for your part of follow-up? Yes. So my list is super short. It's only one element, and it will be our last stop in follow-up. And it's regarding our topic that will never die. I think I'm here to keep it alive. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that you forgot about this. So there was uh, a big news regarding Apple Pay uh, this week. And it's mainly because it was teased for at least a month or two, if I recall correctly. But Apple Pay finally officially launched in Italy. Oh, so, that I didn't think that's where you were going, but yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I thought uh, you were talking about the tangerine thing. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's the next part. But yes, <laughs> our uh, fellow Italians are not able to uh, be able to add their uh, some of their bank card to Apple Pay and use it. And I'm super interested into that new bank called Boom that they, it seems that a lot of European countries seems to have, which is... A bit like what we have here in uh, ten, uh, with Tangerine, but I think it's more in the more independent, and because now Tangerine here in Canada is owned by one of the big banks. Also, I think it's also even more mobile focused because they have uh, way nicer apps 
mobile apps and i think they do have web services but everything is expected to be done through their mobile apps so it's it's an interesting bank and it seems to be the kind of a main partner these days with apple pay launches around european countries and like yannick entered uh one sad part of me being able to use Apple Pay all the time is that one of my card, which obviously I, which I rarely use, but still there's only one card left in my wallet that is not in my Apple Pay wallet, and it is my Tangerine Interact card or debit card. And strangely enough, this week Apple updated the Apple Pay Canadian website to include, I think it's not the Canadian, it's just the support pages. And strangely enough, it seemed to appear on it and I think a couple of hours later I think it happened on Tuesday and a couple of hours later it disappeared so we saw a couple of screenshots I'll, put, uh, I'll post a couple of links from iPhone in Canada and they also uh, realized that HSBC was finally included in uh, this list meaning that this Apple Pay launch will be uh, launching soon for this Canadian bank so more banks in Canada is becoming uh, supported by Apple Pay and more countries are gaining Apple Pay and that makes me super happy. Cool. Good. Now that we're done with follow-up, uh, this week we will do our one of our typical like WBC prediction on wishes. Uh, it's something I really like to do and uh, Yannick kind of quite reminded me that it would be the right week to do it if I want to do one of those episodes. So uh, this week will be that. Um, as you might know, uh, WWC is coming quite fast. I think it's in three weeks now. Uh, yeah, something like that. Something By like the that. time this episode comes out, it might be two. Yeah, exactly. So it's like two and a half at this point. So it's uh, coming super fast. And the reason why I decided to do really a prediction, and you'll see I have three categories of things I want to talk. Um, but it feels to me right now that... There's not that much big rumors. This week was starting to pick up some of them. We start to even some like we start to see some smoke, which might indicate some fires, and uh, we will touch uh, onto some of those. So the way the episode will be uh, kind of split is it will be split into three categories. The first one uh, will be prediction, and as its name suggests, it's stuff we owe, uh, we expect to happen. And that would really mean that we expect it to happen at a more than 50% chance. Uh, wishes are something we would like to see happen, but we are not sure if it will really, really happen. Uh, and the nice one is, I think it's kind of our icing on the t- cake, is nice <laughs> surprises. And that category, for me, is to be a bit more on the wild side. Uh, so stuff we completely don't expect to see or hear about, but that we would be greatly surprised if it were to happen. And before we start going from each category, I want to tackle one of my points that kind of touches all of those three, and I'm sure it's included in Yannick's list too. Uh-oh. And this one is called Apple Hardware. Oh, okay. Okay. The fact that you're kind of... Ugh, uh, doesn't su- surprise me a bit. Well... I mean, I I was thinking about like a specific piece of Apple hardware. <laughs> oh, but that's that's good you say that because I think before we start with our bullet points, I think it would be a good exercise to go through all of Apple's hardware. Like, okay, not all of it, but let's just say like iPads, 
yeah. Mac, desktop, or laptops, and others, which will include watch, uh, TV, and accessories. And to see whether we expect stuff there. And I think the story is a, quite a mix of those three categories that I mentioned. Uh, before we decided to record this episode about three or four days ago, I was about to say that I would not expect any Mac hardware at WWDC. But we started to see a cool bit of smoke, and I think the first one is from... <laughs> I sort our... of disagree with the the okay. rumors that have been coming out, just on a... That's just good. on a base perspective, because well, I don't know how much you want me to go into this, but oh, let rumor... me just let, oh, unless you want to, we are about to talk about the rumor directly. Maybe I would just want to introduce the rumor, and then we can more oh, yeah, uh, describe say that because okay. I hate this rumor. It's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, the rumor came a bit that last week was uh, Microsoft build, and they announced hardware. And in the past few weeks, Microsoft announced, a, let's just say at least, nice laptop hardware. And as we discussed in our previous uh, MacBook Pro uh, Touch Bar episode, people are quite disappointed and, and frustrated with late, the latest Mac hardware. So Marketman reported this week that Apple is said to plan laptop upgrades as Microsoft enter, enters, quote-unquote, and I'm sure that's where you were going with the, your frustration is, Supposedly, Microsoft is entering that market. I think Microsoft is part of that market for the last like ten years. No, no, not that, ten years. That's but not fun. where I was going with the rumor thing. I think it's stupid that people assume that Apple makes hardware decisions in response to something they saw last week. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, that part is totally true. Uh, hopefully, if they start to do that, that will worry me quite uh, greatly. But I don't think we're still at that point. Uh, but yeah, the gist of the rumor is to say that uh, we should see MacBook and MacBook Pro updates uh, already, that's good, uh, at WWDC. And previously, Apple had experience and maybe kind of a track record of introducing more, uh, I would say, developer or like pro user focused hardware. A good example of that is the Mac Pro, but I don't want to talk about the Mac Pro now. We will keep it for later. Yeah. But uh, we've seen a couple of like either iMac upgrades in the past few years when they were rare but still happened uh, at a WWDC. But I don't know why. But I have a kind of... I don't think it will fit. And I say that because either... There's two points. I think it's a bit early. Yes, I did say it's a bit early. Well, for the I, MacBook Pro, at least. Yes, for the MacBook Pro. And I think the MacBook was revised at the same time, or a bit before. No, it was last no, spring. No, it was last spring, yeah. Yeah, so it could be feasible to have a MacBook update. But to me, it feels too early to the last, like to the major re redesign of the MacBook Pro uh, touch bar. And even all of the non-touch bar, the MacBook Escape and all of these, it feels uh, early to me, I would say. And I think above anything, a specs bump does not warrant time in the keynote. I think it would be a press release thing if they were to do this, or a very like 45 second slide thing that they could do, but not spend any time of actual substance uh, on those devices. Yeah, I would greatly see. Um, so in the last uh, quarterly result, we saw that the Mac division is going well uh, with revenues. 
and the, if I recall correctly, the event shelling price for the Mac laptops are up because of the new laptop. Yep. Uh, that's kind of expected if you raise the prices. <laughs> but uh, obviously, Apple is playing the cassette of saying like, oh, yeah, see, if, don't listen to anybody that complains about the, this, this new MacBook Pro because we sell shit tons of them. And I could see their story behind uh, updating them already is to say, oh, yeah, now we listen to our customer and blah, blah, blah. But I think they did that with all of the news regarding the Mac Pro. It's like, we screwed up, sorry, that's done. And I wouldn't see them do that for a product as successful and as popular as the MacBook and MacBook Pros. Agreed. Um, And that's, unless you want to add anything else regarding laptops, that would be it for laptops. If we were to go with desktop Mac computers, if since we decided to start with uh, Mac, um, for the iMacs, I would expect the same thing. If we see updates, it would be either one slide after telling us how the Mac division is going super well and that we shouldn't worry and that everything is fine. Here's well, new updates to like reassure you. Uh, one slide on the laptop, one slide on the iMac, and then Asterisk, boom. asterisk. Oh. So my asterisk for this is the mythical iMac Pro. Okay. Which a lot of people seem to have forgotten about. Uh, but that is a thing. Like, they have said iMac with more pro-friendly configurations are coming. If they're launching that at WWDC, I think that warrants its own slide. I think that is more than just a spec bump in my eyes. And I think that they need to actually give, like, maybe not, like, a whole half hour, but, like, five to ten minutes to actually explain the philosophy behind having a pro skew for the iMac. But that would be also the quite the good a good segue after this five to ten minutes of talking about this new design and new hardware, where we can say, see, uh, the iMac Pro is the best iMac ever. But if you like our other Macs, here's updated laptops. Here's updated normal iMacs at the same time, and each of them would be its own slide and then just fly under the radar after we're all in awe in front of that new supposedly iMac yeah, Pro. Yeah, or they, if they are really low on time, which I suspect they would because they're always low on time during WDC, they could just have that photo where they just put like all of the Macs next to each other and then like just fade in on top of the ones that have also gotten upgrades to say like, oh yeah, and by the way, we're also revising this one, this one, this one today and move right on to the software because let's be honest, WWDC, it sort of has this reputation as being a not very hardware show because developers are much more interested in software and software development than they are in the hardware unless they're looking for a new machine like many of them have because the mac pro <laughs> hasn't been updated since fucking 2013 now that we are on the subject of the mac pro i wanted to leave this until the nice surprises section but i guess i'll be talking about it now then okay because it's also in my nice surprises section yeah and i think the gist of it is maybe we are inting at the same direction but maybe I wouldn't think that Apple would do a teaser of the new Mac Pro this early. I think problem we all of the PR problem they had recently with the Mac Pro, I think if they said that it's not shipping this year, it might be a bit early to do a teaser. And then I started to think a bit, would it be then too close to launch if they were to do it this fall when they will, as we expect, uh, show the new iPhones? And then this is where it comes like 
kind of weird in my timeline right now. And this is where I say, like, I don't expect it, but geez, I would be greatly surprised if we see a MacBook, uh, Mac Pro teaser this WWDC. Yeah, I think we sort of... I think the public statements that they made about the Mac Pro, and of course we're talking about the Mac Pro for the first time since like December because you wouldn't let me talk about it. Whoa, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, it's I, not that we wouldn't let you talk about it. We kind of agreed together that we were kind of tired of hearing everybody talk about it, so we decided to just skip it a it, bit. It's true, it's true. But I think there there's still some ambivalence in the community that Apple is going to do the right thing for pros, especially after the Touch Bar MacBook Pros people are still skeptical that they know what pros really want. So I think there's some level of reassurance that is needed. And I think if you put that in combination with uh, when Craig Federey, he said that uh, developers are the most rapidly increasing category of pros in the, in the Mac market, then I think if you put two and two together, it sort of makes sense for them to preview it then. But the problem is, if you also believe the rumors that say like, this happens like literally six months before they held the meeting uh, where they invited all the journalists to tell them, oh, yeah, by the way, we're making a new Mac Pro. Uh, then what do they really have to show in that time frame? So there's sort of that. But I think like maybe you can give a clearer, rough time frame like, oh, yeah, it's going to be summer 2018 and leave it at that. Or, I mean, like the problem, if you look at the last Mac Pro teaser, it was mostly about the sex and the appearance of the machine, right? It was like, look at this beautiful garbage can. Yeah, and uh, comparing and it with anything on Earth that is kind of, I don't know, more beautiful according to them. Com- it was the concept car of the Mac. Oh, yeah, ways. totally. And I think that the teaser that they need to give, well, they don't need to, but that they should give us a WDC doesn't need to be about the appearance at all. If anything, that would add skepticism to the Mac Pro if they put it all in the looks of the machine again. And I don't think the design is as advanced is advanced enough to actually like do that. So I think they need to focus on specs and they need to convince pros that Apple isn't making something novel for the sake of being being novel, but they're doing something to do, to uh, fill a need that creative pros have because right now that is the thing that needs the most convincing is Apple is still capable of filling the needs that creative pros have because right now Microsoft is doing a very good case of convincing people that they are more in tune with what creative pros want than Apple. Yeah, does. if I continue a bit on your car analogy, the Mac Pro 2013 uh three teaser that we saw at WWDC, it was great it made a great comparison to the way car makers these days will launch auto cars so you had this uh, yeah. nice teaser that will focus on the designs on the beauty that this object is and then they would go on specs right and try to make sure that all of the all of the pro user are kind of assured that the Mac Pro is alive and that should be the best machine you should buy ever and this time, knowing how Apple introduced products, there's two things that I think will happen. Is First of all, the reason why I'm not so sure that it will happen this WDC is Apple tends to kind of not pre-announce stuff too much. They already did with the press release we mentioned a lot, but I'm not sure if they would go as far as saying, let's show it already. I don't think they even have to show it. I think they just have to put specs on a piece of paper put the piece of paper in the keynote 
and let people imagine what they want to imagine. Because literally, people are tweeting, just give me a fucking PC tower that runs back. Yeah, but we all, and we all know that Apple wouldn't ship a beige PC tower, even if it's black. I know they wouldn't, but I think people want to think about what's inside the machine, not the outside. And I think you can make an even bigger splash if you don't hmm. show what it looks like outside. Yeah, and I totally under- I agree with you on that. But that's the problem is, and I think that's where the worry is. I don't see how they can leave that out while still being what Apple is today. Like, they focus on the appearance of everything. So if they only talk about specs without really showing what it is, it doesn't feel prideful enough, if you see what I mean. Actually, I found the perfect way they can do it. <laughs> I found the perfect okay. teaser for Apple. Okay, Apple marketing team, listen <laughs> up. I'm Phil Schiller, I'm I know worried. you're listening. Okay. You know, like how when you walk into the Apple Design Lab, everything is under a black oh, drape. Oh no! Oh, oh, nowhere. What you do is, first of all, you put a display under the drape with the <laughs> Mac Pro, so the display ends up taking uh, the the drape ends up taking the shape of the display and not of the tower or whatever it is. And maybe the tower is under the desk. Maybe that's the joke. And like, you don't have to show anything. You just show this draped silhouette of a display and it's fine. Okay, so what you're saying is you put an old Thunderbolt display on a table, put a black drape yes. on it and just call it the new yes. Mac Pro. Yes, and you just like put a question mark, a white question mark on top of it in Keynote. And you're like, what's this machine? I don't know. We'll talk about it in a couple of months. But for now, here's what we can share. Problem solved. I think people just want to know if they're on the right track and they don't care about the specifics of the design because, again, like I said, you can make a big splash if people don't know the design and it turns out to be something marvelous that also fills the needs of the creative pros. But if you just show the design and it looks like something super fucking theatrical and it doesn't look like it's something that developers want, then you shot yourself in the foot. Uh, We should probably move on from the Mac Pro because we have other stuff to talk about. Um, Before, I think what we can do is maybe... Unless you have anything to add on Mac Pro or Mac hardware, we should move on to iOS hardware. There's going to be no iOS hardware. Hmm. <laughs> but rumors started to pick up that the 10.5 iPad will launch this time around. I call it bullshit. I do too. Uh, but I wonder why. Like, if you if we step back a bit and just think a bit, why would they launch it during WWDC? With typical announcement they do during WWDC, you you did mention that at the beginning, Yannick. WWDC is focused on software. Like a th- uh, like two thirds of the keynote, usually it's just like showing I new iOS, new Mac, and now obviously like all of the others is like TV. If there's soft, new stuff, watch OS, and who knows. But m- well. I think I have an idea of like, because if you listen to podcasts, a lot of people have been suggesting this possible scenario for the rumors that the new iPad is going to come out. The new iPad Pro, I should say, is going to come out at WWDC. And the way they frame it is, here's this fancy new iPad Pro you can buy today. Oh, and by the way, this fall, it'll be even greater because of iOS 11, which will have a bunch of iPad stuff in it. And I think a lot of that is... People who are starved for iPad power user features who are projecting what they want and not necessarily what is realistic. I think what's more realistic is Apple doesn't release the iPad Pro this event. They show iOS 11 that has all of the power user features and then they launch it in the fall with the iPhone. And then 
at that event, they also say, oh, and by the way, there are some exclusive features if you have this iPad. That could, that could be one way to do it. And in a way, if they were to do it now, with launching the iPad at the same time as introducing iOS 11, it would greatly fit because they wouldn't pre-announce or like tease anything. It would just fit together. It's like, yes, it's coming. Like iOS 10 is coming, iOS 11 is coming with the next iPhone, like any other version of iOS. But be patient. You get your new machine. You need your new fancy iPad. You can enjoy your fancy iPad for um, the next few months in the summer and then have fun with the shitty multitasking menu and then voila. (laughs) The other thing that I think is a little suspect for this whole rumor thing, and I have pointed this out in the past on Twitter, is they launched a ad campaign like two months ago for the iPad Pro. And I don't think you launch an ad campaign like that right before you launch a new iPad Pro. Hmm, that's an interesting point. I'm talking about the one where they just hold up giant tweets and talk about whatever's in the tweet. Uh, like, that launched, like, I'm pretty sure it was two yeah, months I think ago, it's right? Just a, uh, it was, when did the last iPad, the last, like, fake new iPad was released, announced and released in March, right? And I think it, the this ca- ad campaign was yeah. kind of launched at the same time of that. It was like a week yeah, or two yeah. before. But yeah, so I think like it's really suspicious that they would launch an iPad Pro right after starting an iPad Pro ad campaign where they would have to redo all of their commercials because if the rumors are true, it's going to have a brand new design that looks completely different from the one in the commercial. So I don't think it works if you just follow that logic. Now, some people have pointed out that... Ad budgets are, div- are decided way ahead of time, and their suspicion is that the iPad got pushed back and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe that shit. I think Apple is such a big company that they basically can do whatever the fuck they want with their ad budget anytime, and people will bend themselves to get Apple's money. <laughs> That's basically it, I think. Uh, I don't think iPad Pro Rev is likely. Yeah, and unless you have anything else to add on the iPad, I think we could skip the iPhone because the iPhone is, of course, it's coming this fall. (laughs) It's a known quantity. And I think we can also skip watch because watch is not happening. Which I know it's not happening. And that's one of my super specific wishes is... There's going to be new bands. Oh, no, I don't. I will be super happy about bands, but I don't care if it's now or in six months, whatever. Yeah, it's these past few months. I've been using my watch um, a lot for sleep tracking, and what mm. I've realized after a few months of using it for sleep tracking is that the race to wake is now all fucked. It like kind uh, of never works. That's I bad. need to do like really like enf- like super big movement. Like I need to emphasize my movement to make sure that it wakes up. If not, eh, like if I do like like fast movement, like I used to do like short, like just I have my arm on the desk and then just raise it up to see the time, no longer all wakes up. I don't know if it's... I don't know I if heard it's... a trick about that on Mac Power Users. Do you want to know what it is? Of course. It's from Mike Hurley. Uh, tur- turn on theater mode when you sleep and then the raise to wake won't get calibrated from your tumbling around while you sleep because it won't raise to wake. Hmm. Interesting. But not a problem I fear is I don't know how to recalibrate it correctly. Maybe, like you said, it's just like by doing that, it will stop calibrating during the night and then I should be fine. Maybe I should yeah. try, start to do that I, for the next few weeks. Yeah, I don't know if there's any way to recalibrate it, but that is sort of the tip that I have learned. So, and regarding that is 
if the screen is always on, I wouldn't have to worry about that. But do you really think that's going to happen? That's why it is in my wishes category and not in a prediction. Because I do agree with you that I don't think we'll see new hardware in dub at dub dub. I think the best time will be like last year. They will do an introduction in the fall, whether it's during the iPhone event or the fall, the other fall event. Uh, I don't think it changes that much, but I do think that we'll get a new version of watchOS. Maybe we'll get lucky and we'll have that feature with the current version of uh, the watch, so the Series 2. So I will be kind of, quote-unquote, forced to change my watch, which I don't want to do, but that's okay. And Or it will get announced really with new hardware because it will only be capable to do that with new hardware that is super low-powerful and that is has the low-power chip like the recent iPhone, something like that. So now that we've spent half an hour talking about hardware that won't be released at WWDC, <laughs> we should probably get into our predictions. Yes, let's start with that. And uh, cluck, 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 if I remove this one, I'll start with my biggest one. And that has been teased a lot and people wa- also want it. So I think it's a mix of prediction and people wanting it. And can you guess what it is? Siri speaker. Oh, wow. You're good. Yeah. I have something that is tangentially related to that, so I'll follow up with that. Okay, so big rumors, and that's kind of my main prediction. In This year, what we'll see is, following the introduction of SiriKit last year, we'll get more SiriKit... I, I took a note domains. of... Domains. Yeah, endpoints, I, but I didn't have the time to look at the right word. So domains, or I think they had the I word for that, but I forgot it. Let's call it domains. That's okay. So Intense? Oh, yes, it, 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 that was the word, intense. So right now, the intense we have, we have workout, money transfer, uh, ride-sharing, text messages, and I'm, I think I forget one, but that's fair. That's okay. The main one everybody, the main one that everybody was expecting last year was audio playing. Yep. So audio apps could just like be triggered by Siri, and sadly, it is uh, not yet out. Oh, the one I forgot is um, sending money. Yes, that's the one I was missing. I think you said that. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> well, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that would be my my top one feature. And that is mainly because I do use like Overcast a lot or another, uh, not an Apple uh, podcast client. Uh, for Siri right now, I don't search music that much via it. But what I've realized in the past few uh in the past few days, so in week or two, I'm using a lot of the Apple Music feature. So maybe I should like revisit all of the SiriKit uh, domains regarding Apple Music and see what nice feature it can improve on for that. But to go back to the uh, Echo, Apple, Amazon Echo-like device, so it's a Siri speaker, uh, Apple is greatly rumored to introduce one of those devices to make a competition to Amazon and to the Google Home. And uh, the best the week was also Google I.O. And app, uh, Google also announced that uh, the Google Home is coming to Canada sometime this year. This summer. Uh, yeah, you tell me this summer, but I tried to look it around and most people are just saying later this year. They said summer in the keynote. I'm just repeating what I heard. Huh, I watched it live. so Okay. 
because I, I look all of the news and all of the news were like referring to Google PR and it says later this year. So I guess somebody in the keynote. Maybe either... the press release says later this year, but they they said during the keynote summer. Okay, and also recently, uh, Amazon introduced a new uh, two new Echoes, the Echo Look. It seems like the... they're making a new one every week. Fair, like uh, it, like a couple of years back with the Kindles and yeah. the a fire phone tablet or just fire itself because that was kind of a pile of yeah okay i won't go there that's okay <laughs> uh but yeah so uh they introduced two new eco devices the look and the show uh the look is a camera based one where it takes pictures uh quite interesting i uh, don't know if i had some uh need for that one but the show is the most uh interesting and I think it is the one where I would see myself use it quite often. And I think the way I could relate to that is if I think about my Siri usage, every time I use Siri, and I think it's something that Apple should improve in Siri, is its reliance on the display. I know Apple is super proud to say that, oh yes, when you use Siri with your phone, with your watch, it's always with you, so it's like closer, it's a personal, more personal device than a speaker in the kitchen. But I think when they say that, it's more related to they can show you stuff on the display and they, you have a display with you all the time. So yes, Siri can give you audio feedback, but in the past and also in my experience, what I've seen is Siri loves to show stuff on the screen. Even if it can give you audio feedback, the audio feedback will be quite short or like a, like a concise summary while showing information on the iPhone screen, on the iPad screen, will give you way more useful information. And a good example of that is when, uh, in a previous episode, when I discussed about series hands-free, and one of the weird limitations it had with my car right now is if I ask where Tony is, because he's on Find My Friends, and it's super useful when I want to pick him up downtown, uh, in most cases it says, oh, here is where Tony is. I'm like, uh, but you, you know I'm driving. You know I can't open find my find my friends. So I ask Siri, open find my friends, and then she's like, Oh no, you cannot do that while driving. <laughs> Which is a bit frustrating because when you, it is Siri is able to interpret the words where is X person, but it doesn't light up the device because it's no it knows that it's connected to your car Bluetooth system. So to remove the distraction it uh, doesn't show information on the screen but usually when you would ask Siri on your phone uh, while while not driving it would light up your screen and show more information so if they were to introduce an Echo-like device I think they would start to hit more at the new show device as their main like major product they might introduce an audio only device but if they do, they will have to work hard on Siri to make sure that Siri doesn't have implicit dependencies on a screen. Yeah, and I think the rumors seem to indicate that it would have a screen if it was to exist. So that sounds good to me. Uh, what I had down as a prediction for this was just more Siri kit domains. I'm not necessarily convinced that the Siri speaker is going to be released at WWDC. Uh, because, again, I don't believe there's going to be hardware of any kind uh, at this event. Um, what kind we, of intent would you like to see? Uh, well, I had the one you had, which was music apps. Uh, the other one I thought about was 
custom sports support because as I've been getting more into esports, I've uh, like I have no desire to ask Siri about any of the real sports. I only want to ask Siri about esports. I want to know like is there an LCK game tonight or who won between Cloud9 and TSM uh during LCS or whatever. And I can't ask these questions to Siri because Siri doesn't know what esports are, but Bing does. Uh, which is infuriating. Bing has, like, you just type LCK into Bing, and it gives you the entire LCK schedule because, for some reason, they built the entire Riot Games API into Bing. Uh, I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, so, like, if game developers could add their esports to Siri via their apps or whatever, that would be really cool. I don't think this is going to happen, but it would be nice to have. Um, but, yeah... Uh, we're also recording this on uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, which is a thing. And Siri enables entire classes of people who have trouble operating apps regularly to get stuff done only with their voice. So I, I don't necessarily have anything I specifically want. It's less of a wish list item and more of a prediction item because I think it's going to happen. But I don't actually really care about what they do because I'm probably not going to use it for the most part anyway. Uh, I find Siri to be infuriating in many cases, and I really just want Amazon to release the Echo in Canada uh, already and stop teasing us because the Echo team is in fucking Toronto. <laughs> really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they ha- they even held a fucking hackathon in Toronto for the Amazon Echo. And I'm like, wow, that's really nice. You know what you could do? You could also release the product in Canada. That would be really cool. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'm super shocked. I didn't know that the Part Surprise. of the team, or most of the team, was in Canada. That's yeah. a bit mean at this point. It's horrible. In oh, fact, yeah. like if you go on the Wikipedia page, it says like a lot of people speculated that they would release uh, um, the Amazon Echo in the end of 2016 because they held a hackathon at Toronto. And I was like, "Fuck this shit! It's not out yet." <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, last thing I want to add though about Siri is a main. What would be the main competing argument with an Apple device, like an Apple Echo-like device, is the fact that, like we discussed uh, in the past, Siri is available in French. Siri is available in different languages. And I think it goes back to the Echo argument here. Is Yeah, Echo is nice uh, if you speak English. Uh, Yannick might not care, but I do. Uh, I don't talk to Siri in English because well, you know what? I, I should say Google Home also supports Canadian French as of this summer. Oh, really? Okay, so that's why it got quote unquote delayed. It's because it's just the time for them to add French Canadian. Yep, and huh. in theory, you should also be able to use it in the Google Assistant app, which is unfortunately only available in the U.S. store right now. But it should show up at some point uh, in Canada because Probably, of the release, yeah. and also now it's available on iOS. Yes. That's good. Okay. Uh, who knows? Maybe if we don't see that prediction, if I fail that prediction, uh, maybe I'll just get the Google Home. Who maybe, knows? but you'll have to allow them to spy on your web history to get anything. That, oh, no, we no, 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 we should Should not I just stop. go on with my next prediction? Yeah, go on with your next prediction because I don't want to talk about that. Okay, so my prediction is that they're going to introduce a new type of extensions, camera lenses. It's going Ooh. to be a new extension point built right into the camera app's mode carousel. It's going to allow for third-party real-time filters, 
but it's also going to allow for AR content overlays, like identifying businesses and showing their Yelp reviews or whatever. And part of the reason why I'm plugging this in is because Tim Cook loves to sneak in every time anyone interviews him how much he thinks <laughs> AR is important in the future. So maybe we should sort of read into that and think maybe they're working on an AR product somewhere. Uh, Facebook is providing a cross-platform SDK for these kinds of lenses. Uh, they announced this at F8 a couple of weeks ago. And it works across camera views in all of their applications on iOS or Android. And while that's at, while that's attractive, the, I'm never going to use those because I'm not going to launch Facebook Messenger to use the camera. I'm going to use the lock screen camera. And I think a lot of people would probably prefer to set a default camera app. But if they actually provided a camera lens extension format, you could just switch to the Instagram lens or switch to the Snapchat lens and provide a light experience to allow for immediate sharing directly from the lock screen. And that would be good enough, I think, for most people. Uh, the only sort of caveat is I hope that it will be more successful in its first year than the Maps extension point, which absolutely fucking no one uses. <laughs> it, it feels to me that it's all of this CV intense. Uh, <laughs> it looks nice in an Apple presentation, but these days I don't think uh, it is uh, used. I think now that that's the problem, though. It, you can disable them, but I don't know where. I think what are you talking about? About uh, the CV intents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a, that's the way. And the reason why I'm talking and uh, talking about that is because I kind of assume that's the way you know where if an app supports the CV intent. So I should know because. Most cases, no app supports them, so it's hard to know which app supports them. I think it's so. in the question mark button in the bottom left corner of the Siri screen. Okay. If you tap that, you see the list of all the apps, and okay. uh, you can turn try. them on okay. or off. Siri's not talking to me. That's good while we're on the podcast. Oh, no. no, Yes, she's talking to me. Okay, never mind. But, shall we skate? Yeah, shall we skate? Uh, but, oh, okay. Yes, I think you're right. Hmm. Interesting. Now I learned something new again. But, uh, yeah. Do you know what? I think what happened with Maps 2 is if any app that you use supports them, it's hard to see how or where. Yeah, but I just don't know of any apps that actually use it, <laughs> period. Okay. Was that it? Yep. Okay. My next prediction was iPad usage improvement like we had in iOS 9. Oh... So, with iOS 9, we got way more important tools that were built in into the OS to make iPad productivity go uh, way beyond what we could imagine. The, introduce of, the introduction of side-by-side -side applications, um, multitask, which was also uh, under the umbrella of multitasking. What I expect is... Apple to introduce a new new ways of doing multitasking. I think in the past two or three years, we've seen Android go beyond what Apple did in iOS nine. Um, I don't agree with all of with all of what they did. A good example of that is multitasking on the phone. But I could see a a plus size phone have it. Who knows? Um, and maybe if they were able to bring more of those to, let's say, in the main, mainstream iOS iPhone landscape may will make it easier to just bring some more love to those workflows on the iPad. Uh, regarding that, it's a rumor that I don't know where to put and we learned, uh, we heard a lot about it and I think that was your next kind of, when we seen uh, multitasking 
in the first time a side-by-side -side application in iOS 9 that was the first reaction you had is how can I drag something from one application and move it to the other and I think this is something that should work at some point I don't know if iOS 11 will make it work this is where it's kind of a, I want improvements in the way you can be more productive with your iPads and if I will go in a specific example, drag and drop will be super nice, but I'm not sure. I, I'm sure, I'm super sure that they will do something, but I'm not sure if it will be drag and drop or just like fixing, like a tease, uh, as, like I said it as a joke, uh, fixing the multitasking menu. Uh, the, not the multitasking, the side by side menu to, to just show an application. Yep. Do you have any other predictions? I have one last one. Let's go. Less emphasis on 3D touch across iOS 11. Uh, iOS 10, strangely enough, put a lot of functionality that was buried or heavily advantaged users of devices with 3D touch, which means more recent iPhones. However, at the same time this was happening, watchOS 3 basically decided, oh yeah, remember Force Touch? That really sucked. People didn't know when stuff was in Force Touch menus or not. Let's just remove it from everywhere, or at least very heavily de-emphasize it. And now basically everything in the OS is accessible without Force Touch. And I think that iOS 11 needs to learn some of the lessons that the watchOS 3 team learned uh, and provide at least an alternate way to access most or all of those behaviors. Not only because it would be more accessible and Global Accessibility Awareness Day, or for discoverability purposes because i think some stuff is really not clear and i think the usability especially on non-3d touch devices which by the way i am one of those users which sort of biases me in some ways <laughs> uh it, it needs to be there but i think if you also combine that with what you just said about the ipad productivity ipads don't have 3d touch and i think it works against what you're trying to do on the ipad if you add features that are buried unless you use 3d touch you you either need to sort of like force people to use the pencil where you could theoretically do 3d touch because it's pressure sensitive or you need to make it more obvious or provide an alternate way to do those things and i do have a good example of what you just said on the ipad it's super nice on my phone every time i pull down notification center and i want to clear everything i just 3d touch on the x button and then it shows me an option to clear everything every time i want to do the same on my ipad i try to 3d touch and it doesn't work because there's no 3D touch on the iPad, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to clear the notification for like the next, the, the past four or five days, and it's like one at a time. It worked with the pencil for one software update, and then they patched it out. What? Really? Yeah. Huh. And, and it was kind of the beginning of iOS 10? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't have an iPad Pro, but oh, that would make me buy an iPad Pro, that's for sure. Just oh. for the X button? Yeah, kinda. Oh, well. That's a bit exaggerated, but at least it will be something on the plus side even more to get an iPad Pro. Yep. Should we move on to the wish list? Yes. Cool. And I'll start with something really left field, and uh -oh. it's with CarPlay. Oh, that makes sense. So I did talk a lot about CarPlay in past episodes, and and... Even if my experience with CarPlay is quite limited, because personally I do, do not own a car or a third-party radio system that is CarPlay compatible, uh, I did add a couple of experience with uh, a colleague's car uh, in a road trip, and my brother got a new pickup truck that has CarPlay in it. So uh, 
in the past uh, few days i've been uh, with him and driving around with this new pickup truck and i was able to uh use carplay carplay quite a lot including the new improvements we had in ios uh, 10.3 which were pretty minimal but mostly it's to the on the right side right now where you have the home button you also have the three most uh recent application that will show there so you can just swap from one to the other at this point my wish is um make carplay app development more open Mm, yeah 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 i and agree with this right now it seems to be kind of uh, you need to know the secret handshake <laughs> to do to the right person at apple so you can introduce yourself in the carplay app development program and even then you need to have an app with specific uh functionality and right now from what i've seen on my personal phone and on the list of supported apps Strangely enough, only audio apps are supported by that program. Uh, on my phone right now, yes, there's Map. All of the typical CarPlay default iOS application are there. Uh, the one that is different from, like, let's say, my brother's phone to my phone will be Overcast because Marco added uh, CarPlay support for a while ago. But uh, in the past few weeks, I started to use Waze to skip traffic when I have to drive uh, up north to go to the racetrack uh, at rush hour. So I'm, uh, what I realized is I would like to have some navigation apps, but also either other apps that could make it way nice, that make the, makes the experience way nicer in the car. I understand why Apple is more on the like safe side, on the like slow side, because they want to make sure that they don't uh, distract drivers. But I think at this point, uh, CarPlay has been released two years ago at this point now, or we're about to. I think, yes, I think it's something like iOS 9-ish too. So, or oh, even older, I think. I, I think don't it's remember. older. Yeah, it's a bit older. So, but at this point, it is at least two or three years old, and I think CarPlay needs some love at this point. Uh, last year, they was they were quite open. They were showing some uh, kind of they were adding video on the side that were not on a developer track at WWDC, but they were like specific to CarPlay and the way uh, the, what's the relationship between the unit on your car and your phone and all of like to better understand how CarPlay works but it left me with uh wanting more it left me wanting more i really wanted my video to know like oh okay i'm going xcode develop some app and then have fun with carplay by the way real-time follow-up carplay was introduced in ios 7.1 oh wow okay that time flies yes okay it really needs some love at this point (laughs) So my first wishlist item is more useful, proactive features. And I guess I sort of have two things I want out of this. Uh, The first one is a question, where is Apple's Google Now equivalent? Or Bixby, I guess. Uh, (laughs) And the other one is... The the Samsung one? Yes. (laughs) Okay. The the Samsung one that was supposed to launch with a voice assistant, but didn't make it on time for the phone's launch, so they're patching it in later. Uh, And the other one is... Uh, stock apps having more useful notifications. So I'll start with the Google Now thing. Uh, so Siri can be asked things directly, but her contextual su- suggestions are limited mostly to app icons. Um, if she has information she wants to convey to you, uh, the thing I'm thinking of is like, uh, 
how much time is left before uh you how much time it's going to take to go to work or something like that it's conveyed in modal dialogues which i think is suboptimal that should mostly be notifications these days but more than anything why isn't there a screen where the entire purpose of the screen is to contextually surface relevant informations from within other informations uh we've talked previously on this show about how i thought that google now was like the best idea for the ui of a smartwatch there could be because it's just a giant stream of contextual information and i feel like now that glances are gone on our watch os we're even further away from that reality so I just want Apple to sort of put together this page that sort of just shows me what it thinks I should be seeing. And I would like for it to not just be app icons or news stories if you're using Apple News, because that is not good enough. It needs to be stuff like weather or uh, how much time is left for my commute or uh, if there are any delays in transit or something like that. And on that note, I think notifications are a big deal. I think that the stock apps right now, they, I mean, it, it's the same default to say no notifications by default. But I think that a lot of the stock apps could be doing more, and I would enable notifications for certain ones of them. So uh, one of these things is Apple Maps tracks your frequent locations, unless you disable it. Um, and Apple Maps therefore knows if I use a specific bus line or a train line every day, so why can't Siri send me proactive notifications to tell me, oh, your train line is delayed or shut down because someone jumped in front of the train? Why doesn't the weather app allow me to subscribe to know if rain is imminent? I know third-party apps can do this, but I feel like this should be built into the system if it wants to be a good proactive assistant. And if you sort of combine all of the knowledge you have about my life, why can't I have something advanced like a notification that there's a high risk of rain during my commute about five minutes before I normally leave the office. That's the kind of thing I would like to see. I don't really expect to see it this year, which is unfortunate. And I think that Apple's stance towards data collection is sort of working against those goals. I think that this kind of stuff is possible using uh, services like Zapier or IFTTT. But if you want to have like truly next level proactive assistant stuff, that needs to be baked into the OS. And I would like to see that this year because right now, like every year, we sort of have this this joke where we say like series proactive features are borderline useless. And I just want something useful at all, period. Yeah, I think the only one I rarely use, if ever, is the remind me about this. Like you're on a web on Safari, for example, and you just yeah, say yeah. remind me about this web page and then it will go oh yeah i know to i know what to do about that but that's it yeah next point on the list which is kind of related to uh proactive features is improvement on icloud photos hmm. uh since the new launch of out, out icloud photo um apple didn't make a lot of improvement to it sadly it did dumb down the ios and mac app version to make them uh, have the same feature set but right now, what I'd like to do is better ways to share photos with other people. Oh, Google I.O. got to you. <laughs> yes, Google <laughs> I.O. got to me. And la this week, at Google announced that they were bringing way more nicer tools to sharing libraries between people compared to what we have with iCloud Photos. It's amazing. A thing I learned this week about iCloud Photos is when you do uh, iCloud Photo, shirt, stream, whatever, I thought it was new. 
not rely on the same limitation as the old follow streams. No. <laughs> but it still is limited to the, it has the same limitation and the same especially the same quality size limitation which is 3 megapixel which is nothing. Yep. So it downsize all your pictures and I'm sad and blah blah blah. But I really want a nice way and Google obviously it's is using its own AI on their server so it's about to say okay share all of the picture the picture I have in my library of Yannick with Yannick as an example. And then Yannick will get the iRes version, hopefully. I will get the iRes yeah, version. Yeah, it's full resolution. Oh, it's full res. Okay, good. So he will get even the raw picture I take of him, like while I creep at his place, something like that. Who knows? But at least he's able to get the same version of it. And it's super easy to do. And in a way, it happens automatically. Oh, it does. The way it works is if you want to share your library, you say, I want to share it with this person. You can say, I only want to share pictures of these people or you can share the whole library or you can say only start sharing photos from this date so you can if you have like pictures of old girlfriends you don't accidentally (laughs) share them with your wife and uh then on their side once they're once they receive your invitation they can say automatically save any photos containing me or my daughter or whoever to my personal library and then you have that in your library and then it won't go away if the invitation is revoked so that's really cool Another thing that is a bit different compared to sharing is uh, going back to the dubbing down of certain applications. I would like Apple to introduce uh, more tools in the application and improve both apps. Even on iOS, they should bring back some of the key features that were either on iPhoto or on a little bit of stuff from Aperture in both the iOS and Mac app to make uh, them better. Uh, whether it's like, to, I don't have any example, but uh, one I would really like uh, is a way to better triage pictures. And right now, since I've used iCloud Photos uh, storage, what I've realized is there's a lot of pictures that usually were never ending up in my library because they were on my phone. And most of those pictures, just like day in, day out, you just take a couple of pictures, either I send a picture of my food or a cat picture or sadly some screenshot I took for work. All of this now becomes in my personal iCloud library. And then each, uh, like every couple of weeks, I do have to clean that up if I, because to me, there's no like historical value to keeping a screenshot or a cat picture. Some might stay, of course, because I want to keep them. But do I really need to care about this exact cat picture or this exact food plate? No. So triaging that is quite painful and i would like to see some tools to help me on that uh, right now other solution uh, the other solution i have is to use two camera apps so you use more the ios one and then i use a one i uh, use camera plus um, so you take pictures and the one i liked then get you i can automatically make uh, no, not automatically but i can tell camera plus to save them to my photo library so i need to still do that triage manually but at least i have kind of my own bucket where it's like this bucket of photo assumes that it's kind of a more uh it's just in a limited context like it's a time a limited time context and one day i'll just delete them or never but i don't care if it gets auto deleted because i did take the picture it gets shared and voila and it's something I really like about the new iMessage feature in iOS 10 is when you take a picture, it never saves. You can like 
three dodge on long press to make it save but if you just take it in messages it sends it and then it's there cool another wishes on your side yep uh, my wish is decoupling first party apps from os updates Ooh. yeah so last year they did this thing where you can quote delete applications that come with your phone unquote uh I disagree with that because you're not actually deleting it. You're just hiding it, uh, which is better than nothing, I guess. But, like, I have never felt the need to, quote, delete any of the apps on my phone because it doesn't actually do anything. Uh, and in the rare times when I actually do want to launch the Stocks app, it's nice to have it there and not have to go to the App Store to search for Stocks and then redownload it. Uh, so I keep everything still in an Apple folder because it's not really gone. Um, but I'm crazy like that. Um and it feels like various system apps are being held back from rapid iteration because the speed at which they can push out updates for those apps is limited by the OS cycle. And I know all the developers in the audience are probably screaming at their phone saying, yeah, but system apps are heavily dependent on underlying frameworks and updates to those frameworks are going to be required for certain apps to actually be able to offer those new functionality. And I am not suggesting that the frameworks should be updatable dynamically as well i'm just saying if you have a really dumb bug fix and you want to correct the bug fix you could do that via the app store without also requiring an entire os upgrade and it would be nice for those things or cosmetic errors uh sometimes i've sent radars which of course were ignored forever uh <laughs> for the photos app because certain things were not retina and they could have put out an update that just magically makes things retina where they were supposed to be uh of course they didn't do that they scrapped it in ios 7 and they redid the entire photos app uh but yeah so i think there could be some value in decoupling first party apps i think especially for apple music apple music is one of those apps where I think it sort of works against them that they're using a native app for that because if it was a web app, they could be more flexible to actually change things around. And we've also done an episode on that and like, how can you dynamically change applications after they're deployed without fucking up the entire OS update? Um, so there are other solutions there that don't involve decoupling the actual applications from the OS update. Um, but I think it would probably be better if they just did it. Google did it with Android years ago, and I think that worked really well for them in the grand scheme of things. We should also point out that they also had like a big fragmentation problem on Android uh, with regards to that. So that sort of fixed most of the fragmentation that existed in Android by separating those apps from the actual OS updates. Um, now, the other caveat is, of course... First-party app improvements are often used as a carrot that you dangle in front of users to get them to upgrade to the next version. Uh, and decoupling that might reduce that incentive to some degree. But again, if an underlying framework update is required to actually get uh, that stuff working, they're going to have to upgrade their OS anyway. So I don't know. Maybe the, like it's entirely possible that if you actually run the economics for this, it is not worth doing the amount of work that is necessary to decouple those apps from the OS to actually offer this. Because it wouldn't get used enough. And that's a perfectly fine argument. But I think it would probably be better for iOS as a whole if it happened. Yeah, there might be also a security slash um, we depend on private frameworks so we can't ship to the App Store because we want to have all the privileges we like uh, argument in that aspect. But <laughs> Yeah, but look at Clips. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it can use uh, private stuff. Oh, well. Uh, to me, 
we went through all of my wishes either in this section or while talking about hardware or other prediction. Uh, the last one was our iOS drag and drop. I kind of uh, entered at it uh, during the iPad usage improvement uh, section. So do you have any other wishes you want to talk? Before I have we one go? more. Okay, let's go. More reliable universal links slash replacement for URL schemes. So it's... Oh, impressive. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it seems fairly obvious from the outside that Apple finds the currently existing URL scheme system in iOS that it can be misused or abused in various ways. And probably the most notorious example is Twitter. Uh, Twitter had a giant list of 25,000 apps URL schemes in their app bundle. And when you launch the Twitter app, it would scan your phone for those 25,000 apps regularly. And then they would use that to target ads to you based on what apps you had on your phone. And when Apple found out about this, they sort of freaked out and heavily restricted the use of URL schemes uh, a few years ago in ways that did actually handicap automation apps uh, that supported a wide range of URL schemes. And at the same time, they introduced something called Universal Links, which was supposed to be this replacement for URL schemes where you can point people to sakarina.tumblr.com and if you're the Tumblr app, you can say, oh, I know how to handle asterisk.tumblr.com. And then the Tumblr app can say, okay, I'm going to open this in the app instead. The problem is universal links are completely unreliable. That's completely true, especially the YouTube's one. Yeah, and I've sort of figured out why after much huh. frustration. Uh, so yeah, I never not want to open YouTube links in the app, uh, but the mobile website opens maybe half to two thirds of the time and it's infuriating. Uh, and I always have to go use the stupid smart app banner at the top of the screen to open it in the YouTube app. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So why does the mobile website open about half the time? Well, it appears that Safari view controller, which we love in general, forces universal links to go to the web instead of directly opening the app. And I think the reason for this is that if you allow Safari View Controller to randomly open applications without the user's consent, you can do some things on the user's behalf that A, they don't want to, B, could have security implications, or C, could leak things, privacy implications, basically. And I understand this reasoning. Uh, the same thing is true about regular URL schemes. I think there's no fix for this, but... I just want a setting where I can say, actually, I trust this app 100% of the time. If I have a YouTube URL, open it in YouTube 100% of the time. I will incur the privacy risk. Like, if you somehow manage to make a YouTube URL that makes me post dumb YouTube comments, like, congratulations, you get that. Because I would rather do that than have to press the stupid smart app banner 100% of the time. Um so yeah, I understand Apple's desire to get rid of app URL schemes. I'm not even proposing this as, like, this would be good for app automation. I just want something reliable that works. I don't care how it works. I just want it to work. Uh, and I think universal links are a poor replacement in certain use cases, but something really needs to be done so that this works reliably. It can be the setting I propose. It can be just some other safeguard somewhere. You could also just, instead of sending me to the website, you could say, do you want to open in YouTube or open on web? I'd rather just have the button there. It'll be more immediate than having to scroll and wait for the page to load and all of that stuff. Just do something, please. <laughs> so that is my cry for help about uh, universal links and URL schemes. Oh, yeah, and it's one that I totally agree with because I have the same exact problem as you do. Yeah. Okay, and hopefully 
with the nice surprises, we should end this episode on a nine note. So let's start. <laughs> let's talk with my first and last uh, surprises because with the other one was the Mac Pro teaser, which we talked in length in the hardware section, and it will. Uh, I think it will uh, link back to your uh, camera lenses extension, mm. and I put it. And it's super general because I don't know what to expect about it. And it's AR and or VR features. Mm. Like you mentioned, we know that Apple is working on either VR or AR. And Tim loves to uh, <laughs> talk about AR, that it is the nice, uh, the nice new thing that we should all do, that VR is kind of like... I think the word you use mostly for VR is it has specific cases... But we're not really interested in those. We think that AR has a more like consumer approach, that it more like uh, as more of a consumer broad approach, and it will be able to be uh, more uh, used and throughout iOS, for example. And the reason why I would say it's a nice surprise because I don't know what to expect. I I just don't have uh, your camera lens extension makes total sense and. If they were to do that, that would be a good way to do it because they would build on top of existing feature like the extension. They would be able to do that in a secure manner because we know that the extension, the way they're built, they're built with security and user's privacy in mind. But what did the question I'm like stopping at is would they do an AR strategy as open as letting developer use AR, an AR SDK? For example, in iOS 11, and this is where I kind of uh, not. I am not sure about that strategy. So I put it there, saying that if we see anything AR related, it would surprise me. But I kind of expect it, expect it to be uh, surprising to me without knowing why it would be. Cool. I have two nice surprises left. I have a short one and a long one. Well, okay. a longer one. So I'll start with the short one, and that is Bazoma St. John. She is my favorite presenter. Uh, she did the demos for Apple Music previously. She is the best person to ever get on stage for Apple since Steve Jobs left. And I think she should do a demo. I don't care that I don't use Apple Music and that I don't like Apple Music. She is awesome, and I want her to do more demos. And I don't Who, even care. It can be like text edit demo. She can do it and I'll be happy. <laughs> Who knows? They will maybe introduce a new Apple Music redesign. Now it looks like text edit. It's going to be great. Uh, my second nice surprise would be for Apple to make Apple Watch great again. Oh, so, no. <laughs> Come on. Oh. So it's sort of a joke because Apple Watch is great already. But clearly developers don't, think, don't seem to think so. A lot of apps... Are still based on watchOS 1 tech and have been completely neglected since the watch originally shipped, which is unfortunate. And I think Apple needs to do something big to cause developers to want to give watchOS a second chance. And I struggle to come up with what that thing is because, if anything, last year watchOS 3 should have been the big thing because the dock just changed the interaction model for Apple Watch in general and Apple Watch Series 2 hardware sort of answered the calls of everyone saying the problem with the apple watch is hardware even though it wasn't uh so it only really had an impact on health and fitness apps and you could say well okay well maybe people only really want to use health and fitness app on the apple watch fair enough um but 
the secret to all of this is that apps aren't even the most important part to the Apple Watch. The primary the primary way most of us interact with our apps on the Apple Watch is via notifications. And I think that apps are severely underusing what is made available to them with the rich notifications on the Apple Watch. But because everyone was so fixated on watchOS apps suck and therefore I will never update my watchOS app for some reason... And I won't even bother to put some effort into our notifications to make that part of the Apple Watch more usable for our app. It's infuriating as a user. And I just want Apple to do something huge. I don't care what it is to make developers want to develop on the Apple Watch again so that apps aren't completely snagged. And I should also point out that part of the blame is also on the Apple Watch App Store team. This is the running joke that has happened for ever since the Apple Watch's launch because they basically only update the App Store when you, new bands come out for the Apple Watch, which is, say, twice a year. <laughs> and that's not good enough, especially because there are no top charts for the Watch App Store. There are very limited navigation options to browse the Apple Watch App Store. And therefore, you have the impression that nothing is happening on the Apple Watch App Store. Whereas... A lot is happening on the Apple Watch App Store. It's just not visible to you unless you know what to search for, which you don't because you're browsing. You're not coming in with a preconceived idea of what you're searching for. So I don't know. Uh, make Apple Watch great again. Hashtag Mauga. And uh, yeah, let's... Oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, you, you really want to end on the Maga statement? Oh, Maga. my goodness. Oh. Okay, no, and it, it, it is a good point. I think it would also apply to TVOS a bit, but in uh, less uh, in, in the I would say with a smaller picture, I would say. But it's interesting to see uh, what they would do here because I think at this point, um, what Apple needs is just time, time to bring more Apple Watch Series Two and up in the market, so more user will be able to experience a greater watchOS experience. And then maybe by doing so, dev will just pick it up and say, okay, yes, there's more user that is using the more recent watch where we could do more stuff. So it's time to go back. Maybe. I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. Good. And I think that was it for our WWDC prediction. Uh, I think we are expecting quite a lot. Uh, it's funny we didn't talk that much about uh, development stuff. Yannick mentioned about uh, WatchOS was mainly the main one. We also uh, didn't bring up uh, one thing that came out last year, which is Swift Playgrounds for iPad. We didn't really expand into what could happen with iPad developer tools. Uh, I sort of had an idea that maybe they would have like more developer tools on iPad this year, but not necessarily full Xcode, but maybe like debugging tools or something, or like a way to take the gauges from Xcode and put them on your iPad or something like that, or a documentation viewer, uh, lol, sorry, uh, Dash developer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. There, there are a lot of possibilities there, but I didn't really have anything specific I wanted to, so I sort of didn't mention that, but I did now. Yeah, me either. The I think the only thing I have like dev related was regarding a problem uh, I am a, a colleague had today, and it was like I would like to have improvements on the UI SDKs we have right now to uh, like remove um, the implicit behavior. Sometimes uh, we run into a weird issue with animations in table views, and that's always been a pain in the butt. So if 
we they were able to do some cleanup of certain old API. It's nearly ten years old already. Uh, I'm not saying to rewrite everything. I think Coco, Coco, the normal Coco, the one on the Mac, is a good example of long-lived APIs. But I think we're at the point where we need a bit of fresh air in those uh, SDKs after. Oh, nearly... actually, I, I see where this is going. We need Swift first APIs. <laughs> maybe, maybe that, that would could be really good. That would be good. Uh, but yeah, that would be right now. That would be, I know I'm not looking at about specific new APIs. Uh, like I could have asked stuff that it would be work related, but in general, as somebody that makes his living on working on iOS app, it and does mostly, uh, UI stuff. I think it, we are like starting to be a bit overdue on like nice UI kit usage improvement as developers. Cool. So is that it? Yep. All right. So you can find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 64. And if I pay the bill for the server, uh, you can find all of the episodes for Limitless Possibility at limitlesspossibility.net. Please pay the bill. I will. Now that I have a job, I will. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter at Sakurina for me. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you could be is at Lucanoche, L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.